You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Michael Blaine. Welcome to the seventh episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. We've just passed Labor Day 2020, and working families are facing unprecedented economic challenges across North America. We continue to battle a global pandemic, and election season is heating up. This episode, we step back for a moment from the news of the day and talk with a longtime smart member, apprenticeship instructor, and international leader who helped build our union into what it is today. Outgoing smart General Secretary Treasurer Rich McLeese sat down with us just before his retirement in 2019 to discuss changes he has seen in the industry, where smart has been as a union, where we are going, and how we can get there. Change will happen. How do we get the jobs associated with that technology versus just having technology eliminate the jobs? How do we train our members to be in front of the technology? So when the technology arrives, we're trained to take those jobs into the future. With more than 40 years in the sheet metal industry under his belt, Rich has more knowledge than just about anyone about how smart works and how our union has adapted and evolved to meet new challenges. He also has a stellar reputation in the industry and a legendary work ethic. From his start at Local 206 in San Diego to his more than two decades as an elected local leader and apprenticeship instructor to his tenure as Smart General Secretary Treasurer, Rich has built a lot of things, led a lot of projects, and made a lot of things better for those coming after him. We all started someplace and we all moved to another job or over time, our skills got better. But never forget, we all started there. We all started someplace and don't lose sight of that. And don't lose sight of who you represent. You represent working people. In addition, listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to questions from members on topics they called or emailed us about. The president knew the dangers and offered an alternate reality of this severe virus. We need a plan. We need the truth. We need accountability today. Rich, we're happy to have you on this episode and honored for you to be here. Thank you. Rich, can you tell us what got you into the sheet metal industry in the first place? Well, actually, my father uh, was a sheet metal worker. He actually was a tuna boat captain. He was in the Navy, came out of the Navy after World War II, was a diver in the Navy. And then uh, being around the waterfront and diving, he gravitated into the tuna industry and, uh, and eventually became a captain of a tuna boat. But in the winter months, he worked as a sheet metal worker. I had a great uncle in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area who had a sheet metal shop. And my dad had worked there as a, as a young guy, just helped cleaning up and those types of things on, on, on a weekend. So he gravitated in, in, into that and uh, became an apprentice and then a journeyman ultimately in, in the local. 
And uh, so I grew up with that, grew up with uh, his friends were sheet metal workers, and, and uh, I kind of gravitated to that as, uh, you know, as I got older and, and ended up in, in the trade, like so many people. It uh, goes from a background to who they're associated with, and that's how I ended up in the, in the industry. What do you think some of the biggest changes you saw were during that time? Well, I, I think technology, of course, has had an effect on, on all of us, on both sheet metal and our transportation industries. But I, I think that when I, when I started in uh, 1968, those shops had changed and we'd gone to press brakes and power shears and those types of things that had been around. Technologically, we hadn't really advanced that much over probably a hundred years. We still had hand brakes. We still formed a lot of stuff by hand. The tools and the technology were you laid out everything that you made. I, I can remember as a, a young apprentice that for whatever reason I seemed to have a, a knack for layout and geometry. So I gravitated to that. And I remember people telling me at the time, a kid, and I was once a kid, you know, they said, that, kid, you can lay out, you will have a job forever. We're going to need layout people on the bench forever. So, and effectively, they were right. For for a hundred years, that was pretty much what uh, what had happened in, in sheet metal. But then, in 1984, things started to change, or actually, early 80s, where technology started to to change, and and we went to uh, the first company out there was a company called Cybermation, and that was the first of the computer layout and cutters and plasma cutters at the time. Laser cutters, of course, now are water jet. And uh, that revolution started the revolution of technology, I think, on, on the sheet metal side, where I worked in a shop where we had 20 people on layout benches. That cutter came in in 84. By 86, we had eight people on benches. Within two years after that, we had four people working on benches doing layout. So the technology started to come in at that point. So really in the 80s and then progressing from the 80s. And that change was not tremendous. That particular asset to the shops did change things significantly. But that stayed pretty stagnant until you got into the 90s. And then things started to, to change technologically more so in the 90s with press breaks and you know punches and you know all the other equipment that started to come into the workplace so seeing that movement in technology and now into today with the, the technology and that will continue each year new things come online new things come, come into the industry so that's the biggest change that I've seen it is more in the last 15 years the change of technology and what that's done to the traditional work that we might have performed, but on the other side has created tremendous opportunity for us. We're able to build things today we couldn't build 15 years ago or 20 years ago because the restrictions technologically of what we could do, what we could cut with a laser today that we couldn't cut then, uh, the things that we can break today or punch today uh, because of technology we couldn't do 20 years ago. So again, though it's taken jobs on one side, it's added jobs on the other side based on, on uh, the technological ability to do it. So a, a, a core theme of the, the 2019 convention was focus on the future. As you just outlined, our industries are seeing a lot of change and that the pace of that change is is picking up. Where do you see 
smarts industry is going in the next few years, and in particular, how can smart help define that future? Well, I think that the first thing we have to recognize is that change will happen and you have to accept the change. That one of the things that's very important uh, to us, that change will come, we're seeing it in, in the transportation area. We're seeing that with, with uh, remotely operated you know, trains and yards in some cases. We're, we're seeing uh, one that I think everybody could probably recognize is that you go to an airport you go to Dallas Airport or any of the large airports, and though you've got a very short train that runs around, those are all remote. There are no operators in those trains any longer. So that's something that we're going to have to recognize going forward. And if that technology changes and it goes to the industry, though we need to be very protective of our jobs and, and what we have, how do we transition ourselves if that technology comes into that area to be in front of that technology. So how, how do we get the jobs associated with that technology versus just having technology eliminate the jobs? And on the sheet metal side, I think that that is the same, we're in the same position. And I think even more so, you see more changes in construction and manufacturing than we're seeing in transportation right now. So as those changes come in, how do we anticipate what the change is? How do we train our members to be in front of the technology? So when the technology arrives, we're trained to take those jobs into the future and then to recognize what opportunities do the, does the technology bring outside of what negatives we may see in the technology of jobs it may take away because it's going to come, so how do we take the positive of that? How do we move into the future and recognize the opportunities? And as I said a little earlier, that as we looked 20 years ago, things we couldn't build because the technology wasn't there. Well, as these things come into the market, what are the other opportunities that we can seize on because of that technology to employ our members into the future and create those jobs into the future? When it's time to put down your tools, take off your hard hat, and tear into some gas station delicacies, join Smart Local 110 Sheet Metal Workers on The Break Time Breakdown, where we'll cover everything from what it's like to work during a pandemic to why we should all be like ducks. Head over to www.smart110.org or search for us wherever you get your podcasts. We started a thing. You should check it out. Rich McLeese. General Secretary Treasurer since 2015, when he moved up to that into that role um, after the retirement of General President Joseph Nigro and Joseph Sellers, who rose to that position, General President. Rich has been with the International for over a decade. Prior to that, he was business manager at Local 206 in San Diego, California. At Local 206, he was behind the union's first efforts at making inroads into the local community in San Diego and to building power for members. And because of his efforts and the efforts of members in San Diego, they were able to win a lot of work and a lot of work hours uh, for future generations of members there in San Diego and also built their power, uh, not just for the sheet metal workers at Local 206, but also for the entire San Diego building trade. So he, he was part of that effort leading it. Rich was also instrumental 
in the merger of this union when it was first formed back in 2012 to 2014 at the first Smart General Convention. And he has a knowledge of the union's constitution, particularly at that time on the sheet metal side, um, but also of the merge constitution. And so he was instrumental in helping bring people together and, and, and push that through and get us to where we are today. Rich, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like during that time when we had that merger? Well, it was a little tumultuous <laughs> in, the, in the early part. And I think something that people need to recognize is that every group, every local union, every membership has a culture. And that culture is unique to that area. It's geographic, it's trade, it's, it's uh, uh, what you do. It, it, so you have to recognize that in any merger of a group or bringing of two groups together, you're actually bringing two cultures together. So you have to be cognizant of you're going to have differences of uh, priority. You're going to have differences of, of how one culture works and how another culture works. And so I think that what happens is we become protective of the culture that we have. It's no different than our society when people say, here's a merger and, oh my goodness, look at all the, the complications of this. It, it's no different than bringing a community together. It's no different than when you go to a community and, and, and a new, as a community grows and new people come into that community, how do you assimilate in, into the community? A merger is no different than that. It's how do you take people of different uh, trade interests, uh, different functions, different uh, ways that they, they do things, and, and bring them together? And I think that the key to that was that though we may have differences of trade, we may have differences in, in procedures of how we do things, in the end, we all have exactly the same goal. And that is we have members of both organizations who have the same basic needs, regardless of what trade they're from, regardless of what background they're from. They care about what's best for their family. They care about having a good job with decent pay and benefits in a, in a safe work environment so they can provide for their families. That's a basic tenant for every single member whether you're a TD member or whether you're a sheet metal member, that basic tenant flows through everyone. So if you can focus on that and you focus on, in the end, what we need to do is try to combine the strength of what we had and pull that together for the benefit of all the members within the, the new Merge Smart, we, we could get there. And, and so... Yeah, it, it, people would say it, it, it's sometimes when, when the merger happened, oh my goodness, all these things going on. Those are really structural. Those are really uh, important. Yes, they're important because you have to have a structure of an organization for your ability to get things done and to get projects done. But the reality of it, the most important thing in the merger was to keep in mind and keep focused on how did it help the member? How did bringing the group together, how would that help the member? 
when you pull the organization together as a whole, you're now 202,000 people when, when you pull the collective of that together. So your bargaining strength or your strength when you sit at the table to try to negotiate for the future grows because of the number of people that, that you have in the organization. So it's that strength of common interest that will help us into the future. It's going to help us politically into the future as we are now just really in the last few years starting to pull that together to where if there's an issue for our transportation brothers and sisters, if there's a, a, a board meeting on transit, if we can get on the sheet metal side and we can bring 100 people from the sheet metal side into a meeting on transit along with our transportation brothers and sisters, that just grew a group that may have been 200 people to a group that maybe is a couple thousand people of which you can draw 150 people instead of two or four to a meeting. It would seem that, that SMART's uh, response and mobilization around threats to apprenticeships and, and mobilizing members to submit comments to the Department of Labor, that was, a lot of them were from sheet metal, but there was also a lot of transportation members submitted comments for an issue that was really more affecting sheet metal. Exactly. And, and again, that goes right to the strength of what we're able to do. So when we look at this and we don't look to say, well, that's a transportation issue. If, if we're having an issue with, the, with say, a New Jersey Transit years back. So if we're having an issue at New Jersey Transit, that's not New Jersey Transit members' problem. That's all of our problem. Our participation to help in that is not transportation division members' issue. That's everybody's issue. So when we could show up to a rally that's sheet metal, or conversely, the other way, when transportation can show up, when people recognize that we're unified when we show up, when they recognize that this is a uniform, or I'm sorry, unified group, there's tremendous strength in that when they recognize that. So I think that, and, and the IRAP is a perfect example of here's something that didn't directly affect transportation members, but they participated in that. When we talk about two-person crews on a train, that may not directly affect a sheet metal member, but they can participate in that. They're members of that community. They can speak and say, I belong to community organization, or I live in this community, and not having a two-person crew on a train that's going through my, commu my community matters to me. And when they participate, that changes the number of people that are going to get to their congressperson, and that can change the game. Mm -hmm. And the strike in uh, Ontario, the, the support from members and locals came from across the union. Yes. The strike in, in, in Ontario was that, that we had members from a lot of locals across the United States help and participate in that. We had locals that, that uh, participated in a lot of ways, not just financially, but in, in people on the ground to help them. And it showed unity. It showed strength in that we all have a common interest and we all have a common goal. And if we support Ontario, 
that's going to carry over when they support us, when we have an issue. And it shows, like, again, to any other community or any other group, they're going to be unified. As a, as a membership of 202,000 people, they're going to be unified. And when something happens, they're going to participate. It, like I say, that's a game changer to people. Are you registered to vote? Do you know your voting status? You can find out quickly and easily. Just visit www.smartvote2020.org or text the words smart vote. That's two words, smart and vote, to 21333 to check your registration status and find election information specific to your state. Message and data rates may apply. So, Rich, you served as a local leader uh, and an international officer for many years at SMART. What do you think are the most important things for a SMART member, whether it's sheet metal, transportation, transit, or production? Uh, what do you think is the most important thing for them to know if they are interested in running for a leadership position? I think a couple of things. I, I think that one thing that, that they have to have is that Never forget where they come from, maybe uh, for lack of a better phrase for it, is that we're all working people. That's our background. That's what we come from. That's who we serve in any leadership position. That's who we serve. That's the constituency that we have to protect, and that's where we came from. So don't lose sight of that. Just as I said earlier, that you may be a person on the job that's cleaning up the job, or you may be the person that has the highly technical portion of the job to get done, but it's that recognition that every job that we have is important. Every level that we have within the organization is important. It doesn't function without that. And you have to recognize that. We all started someplace and we all moved to another job or over time, our skills got better. But never forget, we all started there. We all started someplace and don't lose sight of that. And don't lose sight of who you represent. You represent working people. And you're a working person just in another capacity. And so I think that is the first thing you have to have. If you don't feel that, you don't need to be in leadership. I think the second part of it is respect. I think you, you have to have a respect for people in general. You have to have a respect for their opinion. You have to have a respect for what they do. And you don't have to always agree. So there's going to be times that, that you know, you, you're going to have, at a local union, you're going to have issues that come up, and you're not going to agree on things. But you can have a respect for each other and your position. You can have a respect that you differ, but that's their perspective and that's where they come from. And that doesn't diminish the respect that you have for them because you have a difference of opinion. If, if you don't have that temperament, if you, if you don't have that, I can debate this, I can take the collective here if people disagree, if you can't take that to where I still respect their opinion, though we differ, I don't think you'd ever be a successful leader. 
I, I think you have to have that. You have to have that ability. It's a, it's a discourse we don't have today in the politics of, of the country on both Democrat or Republican. We don't have that. But, but I think that what it's shown everyone, or it should show everyone, is how ineffective we are because of that, because we can't have respect for another opinion. You know, so I think in leadership of a local, uh, if you want to be a leader, you have to have that. You, you have to be able to listen to the members, have to be listen to other people and their opinions, and have respect for that opinion that opinion, though you may differ with it. Rich, what are you most looking forward to on your retirement? I'm not sure. <laughs> to be involved, to still be involved in, in some level of not, obviously not as, I'm, uh, but to, to be involved, I, I, uh, I will move back to my hometown eventually uh, from the D.C. area, and uh I probably, one of the things I enjoyed most in my, in my career, as I, as I might have said earlier, I taught apprenticeship for 20 years. And I really enjoyed in te teaching apprenticeship. I, I enjoyed being able to uh, impart some knowledge that I might have to someone coming into the trade, being able to answer a question when they have it. If I didn't know the answer to it, I could get the answer to it. And I, I really enjoyed that. So. I think being involved again with that at some some level of maybe I can bring uh, some some of what I knowledge that I have knowledge base that I have and to bring that back to people coming into the trade or or, or uh, and doing that I I think that's what I'd look forward to. What are you going to miss the most about your time here at the international? Uh, Probably just, uh, one camaraderie with people that I've worked with, of course, all over all the years. I think anybody would say that, that, you know, people they work with. Uh, I've worked with General President Sellers now for a number of years, and uh, I'll miss that interaction of I have with him and the staff and everyone here and, this, and, and uh, talking to the local unions and talking to leadership at, at local unions and, and that. I, I will miss that. I, I will miss, I think most that I get a phone call or I get an email or I get something and I, I can solve maybe a problem for somebody. You know, I'll miss that. Uh, you know, as, as much as somebody on the other side may, that gets a problem solved or gets, may feel good about that, there's an equal feeling on the other side that you've been able to do something that's productive and, and helpful for someone. And I'll, I'll miss that. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. Welcome to the Open Mic segment with General President Joe Sellers. Joe, it's good to have you on the show today with us. Thank you, Paul and Mike. Thank you for bringing me into this podcast. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to our brothers and sisters. Thank you. It's after Labor Day. The election's in full swing. How people are going to vote, 
what the candidate positions are and what candidates are saying day to day and the day to day horse race are on everybody's minds right now. So with that in mind, I want to give you this question that came in from Wes Exted. He's a member of TD Local 445. He asks, says right now, we are on the verge of almost 200,000 deaths from COVID-19. Last week, we heard that the president knew of the danger that the coronavirus posed to Americans. Yet, he went on in the following weeks to call it a hoax, say that it would go away in April, and that it would just disappear like a miracle. How do you feel things would be different if the president chose to actually be honest? Well, thank you for your question, Wes. Uh, it's remarkable of the things that we hear that comes out of the president and this White House. Now we have on tape and we hear the president knew the dangers of this virus. He knew the casualty percentage, but he chose to downplay it. He had the information, reduced the spread, flattened the curve. We heard that early on. We heard that in March. If safe measures were put in place back in March, one week makes a difference. And according to Columbia University, 36,000 lives could have been saved. Two weeks, nearly 54,000 lives could have been saved. And as high as a million COVID-19 cases could have been avoided. The president and the White House is still downplaying this virus. While the American people are dying a thousand per day. And nearly, as Wes said, nearly 200,000. And that possibly could double by the end of the year. We in the United States need leadership. We need to listen to the experts, the science, and make educated decisions, informed, sound decisions to reduce the spread, to flatten the curve of this deadly virus. We don't need anyone acting as a personal know-it-all and reporting how great things are. While we are also experiencing an economic collapse, the lack of disclosure and the cavalier attitude of the White House has caused the extension of this unprecedented unemployment that we are experiencing and in the middle of right now. Families continue to struggle to put food on the table, to keep a roof over their head without additional relief. This administration doesn't understand that. They cannot relate to the issues of working families. This is also putting many businesses out of business. But unfortunately, bankruptcy is familiar territory to President Trump. It harms everyone else around it. All the corporations that provide services to those unfortunate businesses and the people that work for them. And it shifts the cost onto each one of us and also broadens the recession that we're in today. The president knew the dangers and offered an alternate reality of this severe virus. We need a plan. We need the truth. We need accountability today. We need Joe Biden. Please make your vote count. Wes, thank you for sharing your question with us and during this podcast. Thank you, General President Sellers, for being on the podcast today. I want to thank Wes for that question. That was an excellent question. And I just want to remind all members as well, as we mentioned earlier, uh, this is an important election. This is the biggest election of our lifetimes, probably. So make sure you're registered to vote. See if you can vote early by mail. If it allows you in your local area, visit www.smartvote2020.org or text the words smart vote to 21333. Message and data rates may apply to that as well. Thank you, General President Sellers. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Mike. Wes, again, thank you for your question. Brothers and sisters, please stay safe. <laughs>